Jared's Focus. My name is John Clark, and thank you for joining us, and welcome if it's your first time. Today we're going to be focusing on a short period in the history of uh, a couple of different big bands that coincided and intersected and what have you, and some interesting repertoire crossing here as well. And these were the bands uh, that were led by the Dorsey brothers, Jimmy Dorsey and Tommy Dorsey. And uh, a little bit of history there. They were brothers who were born in Pennsylvania, early on went to music. Tommy Dorsey was born in 1905. Jimmy Dorsey was born in 1904. And uh, they were raised in a pretty strict environment where they uh, got significant musical education. Their father, I think, worked in the coal mines and didn't want them to suffer the same fate, so he insisted on... Uh, uh, becoming musically educated as well as educated in other ways so they could leave that uh, lifestyle and make a make a fortune for themselves which they ultimately did they both played in a number of territory bands including the Scranton Sirens in the 1910s they went to New York in the 1920s and uh, together and separately played in a number of different bands they played in Gene Goldcat's band uh, Paul Whiteman's band they did lots of studio work uh, pit band work they were very good musicians in addition to being jazz players they recorded with all of the great uh, white jazz musicians, Bix Beiderbeck and uh, Joe Venuti, Eddie Lang. A little bit later in the decade, they uh, started their own band. And uh, at first, it was just a studio band. They would uh, make recordings of pop tunes of the day uh, in jazz style, occasionally in, in more concert settings as well. And uh, they became quite well known in the industry. Uh, Jimmy Dorsey left uh, in the early uh, 30s, or actually a little bit earlier than that, about 1930, to go on the road touring with Ted Lewis, of all people, the uh, the novelty clarinet player, and he was, uh, Jimmy was their chief uh, clarinet and saxophone soloist in that band. So quite a few uh, interesting things happened with these uh, two musicians before they reunited in the early 30s, 1932, 1933, and they became uh, co-leaders of a band called, of course, the Dorsey Brothers and their orchestra. And uh, this group uh, started playing live and doing dance dates, and they were one of the most influential of the white bands in the immediately pre-swing era from about 1933 to 1935 or so. The Two uh, brothers had uh, a contentious relationship, shall we, shall we say. Jimmy Dorsey, of course, was the reed player. Tommy Dorsey was the trombone player. They both also played respectable trumpet and cornet as well. Uh, and they uh, didn't necessarily see eye to eye on many things, but uh, particularly management of the band. Uh, Jimmy Dorsey was usually happy to sit in the section and play solos. Tommy Dorsey was more the front man of that group. But uh, Jimmy made his feelings felt about a lot of different things and uh, uh, came to uh, a night on the bandstand, I believe it was in um, the summer of 1935, uh, one of the establishments in New York, I think the Glen Island Casino, and uh, Tommy Dorsey complained uh, when Jimmy Dorsey was criticizing one of his tempos for a, supposedly I'll Never Say Never Again Again, the song, and uh, Tommy Dorsey stomped out, and uh, that was it for him with his brother for another uh, 15 years or so before they got back together and led a band in the 1950s together before Tommy passed away in 1956. So we're going to uh, enter into that time period right about the time the band was uh, breaking up. We're going to listen to uh, the results of two different recording sessions, and they were both recorded for transcription series. And in the past, in this podcast, I've played uh, recordings of several different bands in the 1930s who recorded for radio transcriptions. These were done specifically for radio play. They were not designed to be uh, issued commercially and bought in record stores and so forth. So the bands would play their usual repertoire. Sometimes they would be uh, covered up by a pseudonym, but didn't really fool anybody who knew the style of the bands or the soloists. But these recordings would be, uh, as I said, marketed to radio stations, and they'd be played during... Uh, off times when there wasn't a radio show, they might be played as backgrounds uh, to other programs. Sometimes they had programs created from this canned music, so-called. The union didn't like this at times, but uh, it, it's, uh, it was a way that uh, especially smaller radio stations could have music uh, that was well-produced and well-performed. So we're going to start 
in January of 1935, and this was about six months before the band came to a crashing halt. This is the Dorsey Brothers and their orchestra, and uh, these tunes were recorded for World Transcriptions, which was one of the most uh, prolific transcription services in the 1930s. So, as far as I know, this was called the Dorsey Brothers Orchestra. It wasn't uh, done under a pseudonym, but we will see that that does happen uh, with the Jimmy Dorsey Band coming up. We're going to listen to half a dozen tunes or so from this series. Some of them were on the shorter side. They were done uh, as, as quickies, actually, and the standard arrangements the band used probably were cut down a little bit. On the other hand, there were some that were extended a bit, so clearly they had uh, some ideas about what this music might be used for. So again, this is January 17th of 1935, and the band is uh, a little bit unusual in its instrumentation. There was usually just one trumpet, George Thau, who's the chief trumpet soloist. He was the only trumpet soloist for many of the studio recordings. Here on this recording, he's uh, joined by Charlie Spivak, who was renowned for his lead trumpet abilities at the time. Of course, he had a band later on in the 40s. Tommy Dorsey and uh, Joe Ewell, Y-U-K-L, are the trombonists. Uh, Glenn Miller had been the second trombonist in this band. He had left uh, a couple of months earlier, and uh, he also contributed some of the arrangements, and we're going to be hearing some Glenn Miller arrangements as well. Don Madison also played trombone and sang, and we will hear him singing on a couple of numbers. So three trombones and one or two trumpets, an unusual instrumentation. In the reed section, we have, of course, Jimmy Dorsey playing clarinet and lead alto sax. He does all the solos on both. Jack Stacy plays alto in the section. Skeets Herford plays tenor sax, gets some solos in. Also, he sings a bit. Bobby Van Epps is the pianist. Rock Hillman is the guitarist and singer. And Delmar Kaplan is on bass, and Ray McKinley is on drums. Ray McKinley also sang occasionally. I don't know if we'll be hearing him. Uh, and then there are two uh, full-time vocalists with the band. Bob Crosby, the brother of Bing, was brought on, and this was his first uh, prominent gig. And after this band broke up, he went on, of course, to front the Bob Crosby Orchestra, which was a, a, a cooperative ensemble that he led for many years and returned to and in, in the future decades as well. And the female vocalist is a lady named Kay Weber, a very good singer in her own right. So for our first uh, set, we're going to hear Weary Blues. This is one of the longer takes, and this was apparently one of uh, Glenn Miller's arrangements as well. We did a podcast a while back of Glenn Miller's early arrangements, and uh, we used some of the studio recordings of the Dorsey Brothers Orchestra, and uh, this is an interesting comparison of studio versus transcription recordings. Following Weary Blues, we're going to go to a pop song of the 1930s that was actually uh, better known in its version by Fats Waller, Night Wind, a very uh, pleasant, evocative little tune. Then we're going to go to a, uh, a jazz tune of some vintage. This goes back to the early 1920s, 1922 or so, in the New Orleans Rhythm Kings, and it's called That Eccentric Rag, or simply Eccentric. And uh, this will also have uh, some participation by Jimmy Dorsey on trumpet. Following that, we're going to hear a, uh, an original tune called By Heck, which... Um, I believe it was a Glenn Miller arrangement. I'll check on that. And then we're going to finish up that set with the jazz standard Sugarfoot Stomp, which more appropriately was Dippermouth Blues, the Louis Armstrong and King Oliver tune. When it became a swing tune uh, under Fletcher Henderson's uh, guise, it was uh, known as Sugarfoot Stomp. But that also usually included another strain that uh, we do not have here. So technically, this is the Dippermouth Blues. So this is the Dorsey Brothers in their orchestra, January of 1935 for World Trans playing Weary Blues, Night Wind, Eccentric, By Heck, and Sugarfoot Stomp. <laughs>
at will And the dream we shared fell apart Now I'm all alone in the night wind Wind that brought the blues to my heart Yesterday my arms were around you And your lips revealed you were mine Then the angry wind came and found you Came to end a moment divine Oh, that night wind Seems to taunt me Seems to haunt me Now that you don't want me Why is lover's lane filled with shadows Stars no longer shine up above I'll be waiting there in the shadows Till that night wind brings back my love Thank you. 
So that was the Dorsey Brothers and their orchestra recording for World Transcriptions in January of 1935. And we heard some good jazz playing. It was not exactly cutting-edge jazz playing in 1935, but it was very musical playing. And it featured both of the Dorseys, Tommy on trombone and Jimmy on clarinet and alto sax. So we heard mostly his clarinet on that set. Uh, Tommy was not uh, known as a particularly uh, effective jazz trombonist. He, of course, was better known for his ballad playing when he founded his own band. And he was a very good leader on stage and uh, in the business aspect of the band, but he does get some effective trombone solos on these recordings. Jimmy is the most featured soloist, and probably second is George Thau on trumpet, who played in a kind of a mid-range Bunny Berrigan style. Uh, he was better known later on as a Dixieland player. Uh, he even played uh, with the Lawrence Welk Band in its earlier television uh, inception in the 1950s, and he became uh, a mainstay in their Dixieland combos at the time. Uh, Charlie Spivak is apparently playing trumpet in here. It's hard to hear where there are more than one trumpet uh, in any part of these arrangements, but uh, if there is, it is he playing lead. He was not known as a soloist. I heard a couple of piano solos by Bobby Van Epps from the famous Van Epps family. George Van Epps was probably the most accomplished uh, as a banjo and guitar virtuoso. They had another brother, Johnny Van Epps, who was known as Grandma for some reason, and he uh, was playing with the Joe Hames Band. And when Tommy Dorsey uh, left the Dorsey Brothers, he took over over the Joe Hames Band, and the first handful of recordings that they made uh, featured Johnny Van Epps on tenor sax. So we started out with the Weary Blues, that Glenn Miller uh, arrangement, kind of a busy arrangement, but featuring the trombone section very nicely, the three trombones, and the three clarinets as well. Uh, I should mention, too, Skeets Herford played a couple of short tenor solos in here. He was better featured, I think, on the uh, studio recordings, but we can hear him occasionally. Then we went to that pop tune, The Night Wind, that, as I said, was recorded by Fats Waller. Very uh, underrated tune from 1934-1935, here featuring the voice of Bob Crosby. Uh, and Bob clearly was influenced by his elder brother Bing in delivery and uh, vocal style, quality, what have you. And uh, he went on to a, a fairly prominent career as a band leader. He uh, was in the military during World War II, and when he came out, he had several business interests, but periodically he would reunite members of his band, either as a big band or as a, a, a Dixieland combo and make recordings. He was a pretty well thought of band leader in his day as well. Then we went to that New Orleans Rhythm Kings tune, Eccentric, which featured the clarinets mostly and Jimmy Dorsey in particular. After that, uh, we went to that tune by Heck, which I had said was an original. It was an original, but not with the Dorsey Brothers. It was from 1915. It was by L. Wolf Gilbert and S.R. Henry, so it was kind of a ragtime Tin Pan Alley song that was resuscitated uh, by the Dorsey Brothers. I don't know if that was something they remembered from their childhood and they just kept going with or not, but um, featured some good uh, clarinet and alto playing by Jimmy Dorsey. Then we ended up with the Sugarfoot Stomp, which suitably was a feature for George Thau on trumpet, uh, recreating the King Oliver solo and putting his own spin on it as well. And not to uh, go under the radar is the rhythm section, which was a, a pretty effective rhythm section for a white pre-swing band or immediately pre-swing band, especially Ray McKinley on drums, who was a very good drummer uh, in that style. Of course, later on he went with... Um, he had his own band the uh, uh, with uh, Will Bradley, the Bradley McKinney Orchestra, and uh, he had his own band later after playing with the Glenn Miller Band during World War II, and then he uh, later went on to uh, lead the Glenn Miller Band uh, after that period as well. So we're going to go on here a couple of more of the Dorsey Brothers and then go on to the Jimmy Dorsey portion of our program. We're going to hear Dee's Dem Doze and Don't Let It Bother You. Dee's Dem Doze was a Glenn Miller tune and arrangement, so this was held in the book even after he left, uh, Miller had left by um, the fall, late fall of 1934, so he'd been gone for two or three months anyway when this transcription series was made. And then Don't Let It Bother You was another tune made famous by Fats Waller, and uh, then we're going to jump over to the Jimmy Dorsey recordings, which were actually done uh, about seven months later or so, eight months later actually, and they were went under the pseudonym of James Dalton and his orchestra, but uh, didn't fool anybody, I don't think. It was exactly, or almost exactly, the same band. Tommy Dorsey had left in the summer of 1935, and the Dorsey Brothers Orchestra made a couple of recording sessions without him. Um, and in fact, a couple of the tunes they did on those sessions show up on this transcription uh, recording for associated transcriptions under Jimmy Dorsey's name. So there was clearly a, a continuity going on right there. So we're going to hear 
The same band, with the exception of Bobby Byrne replacing Tommy Dorsey. Bobby Byrne was an exceptional trombone player, uh, probably a better jazz player than Tommy Dorsey was, and he could play the high notes as well. We're also going to hear Toots Camerata uh, on trumpet playing, I guess, lead. Also, he sang a bit. I don't think we're going to hear him on here. And he did some of the arranging. And in addition to the three saxes, Jimmy Dorsey, Jack Stacy, and Skeet Sherford, we're going to hear Fudd Livingston, who was uh, an unusual figure in 1920s and 30s jazz and a good friend of Jimmy Dorsey's, I guess because Jimmy had to stand out front and wave the stick. He had to have another saxophone player in the section. Fudd Livingston also was a very good arranger, and he did some of the arrangements uh, for the Jimmy Dorsey band that uh, came a little bit later. We won't hear them on this particular session. So we're going to start, after the two uh, Dorsey Brothers tunes I mentioned, with um, three, uh, three Jimmy Dorsey tunes. First is I Wished on the Moon, which was something the Dorsey Brothers had recorded with Bing Crosby. In fact, Bing Crosby hated the tune, and he, uh, the legend was that he sort of growled his way through it so it wouldn't be released. But joke's on him, it was released anyway. And that will be uh, sung by Bob Eberly, who had replaced Bob Crosby in the last days of the Dorsey Brothers Band and stayed with Jimmy Dorsey for many years after that. Of course, he was the brother of the much better known and probably the much lesser singer, Ray Eberly, who sang with Glenn Miller. Following that, we're going to hear the Bert uh, Kalmar and Harry Ruby tune, Three Little Words. Then we're going to end up with a tune called the Dorsey Stomp, which later uh, morphed into the recording that was one of the best-known Jimmy Dorsey uh, recordings called Dusk in Upper Sandusky. So those are our tunes for this particular set. We're going to hear from World Transcriptions in January of 1935, the Dorsey Brothers Orchestra doing Dee's Dem Do's and Don't Let It Bother You, and then the Jimmy Dorsey, a.k.a. the Jimmy Dalton, James Dalton Orchestra, recording for Associated Transcriptions on September 23rd of 1935, doing I Wished on the Moon, Three Little Words, and Dorsey Stomp. Thank you. 
Dorsey Brothers morphing into the Jimmy Dorsey Orchestra throughout the uh, first eight or nine months of 1935. Started out with uh, Dees Dem Doze and the Glenn Miller tune, an arrangement, followed by Don't Let It Bother You. So, in that band, as I said, we had Tommy Dorsey playing the trombone solos. We heard uh, Jimmy Dorsey doing most of the uh, other solo work, other than that done by George Thow on trumpet. Uh, once we get into the Jimmy Dorsey recordings, we hear a little more uh, freedom and improvisation, a little more soloist uh, feature uh, activity coming up. We started out with I Wished on the Moon, Bob Eberly, doing a nice little vocal and a nice kind of... Uh, counter uh, to the actual written melody. It uh, was actually a very musical performance and a very pleasant song as well. Then we went to Three Little Words, which was an out-and-out -out swing uh, arrangement, and it featured, in addition to Jimmy Dorsey, Skeets Herford on tenor, the two of them going back and forth and doing some trading, and also a full chorus solo by George Thau, a very good solo by him. As I said, he was kind of a middle-range Bunny Berrigan type of player. He had that sense of a drama and shape to his phrases, but he didn't uh, go into the upper register all that much. And then we finished up with the Dorsey Stop, that sort of preliminary version of Dusk and Upper Sandusky that the uh, Jimmy Dorsey band recorded uh, a couple of years later. And uh, that featured mostly Jimmy Dorsey on clarinet and alto saxophone, primarily alto sax in that case. Really a fine technician, kind of an unusual sound, but um, he really knew how to get around on that horn. So we're going to uh, keep going with the Jimmy Dorsey Band, a.k.a. the James Dalton Orchestra, uh, recording for Associated Transcriptions in September, September 23rd of 1935. And we're going to hear uh, some jazz arrangements that might have been done by the Dorsey Brothers Band that they didn't record, and some pop arrangements that they did. We're going to start out with the Wolverine Blues, the Jelly Roll Morton tune, which will feature the, uh, the prime soloists in the band. Then we're going to go to kind of a showy version of My Very Good Friend, The Milkman. And uh, that will 
feature uh, a whole vocal array, almost a Fred Waring type of array. We're going to hear Kay Weber on there, her first appearance on this show, along with Bob Eberly, doing a kind of a back and forth uh, in the way that uh, Bob Eberly and Helen O'Connell were to do a few years later with Jimmy Dorsey. And then joining them is the trio, Don Madison, Skeets Herford, and Rock Hillman. And that'll be my very good friend, The Milkman. After that, we're going to go to a kind of a, a showy number, I guess, the Tap Dancer's Nightmare, which will feature some very good drumming by Ray McKinley and some uh, breaks and solo breaks and so forth in there. And we're going to finish up with one of Jimmy Dorsey's great showpieces on alto saxophone, B.B. He wrote this. He recorded it in the 1920s, 1929, actually, sort of in the uh, style of a Rudy Weedoft, you know, saxophone show-off piece. It wasn't really jazz, but here it's given a swing arrangement. And later on, he recorded it for a, a film, I believe, in a very flashy, much faster performance. But this is a little more laid back and shows off his technique and his sound on alto as well. So this is our Jimmy Dorsey program, Associated Trans descriptions of September 1935, Wolverine Blues, My Very Good Friend the Milkman, uh, Tap Dancer's Nightmare, No Strings, and BB. <laughs>
drink too much sleep He doesn't like the hours I keep So he suggests that you should marry me My very good friend, the mailman says That it would make his burden less If we both had the same address So he suggests that you should marry me Then there's the very friendly fellow who prints All the latest real estate news And every day he sends me blueprints Of cottages with country views My very good friends and neighbors say That they've been watching things I do And they believe that I love you Well, I suggest that you should marry me your very good friend, the milkman, Kay, and each 4 a.m. when I call, I find you kissing out in the hall. Now I suggest that you should marry him. I'm your very good friend, the mailman, Bob, and I've walked blisters on my feet, delivering love notes to your street. So I suggest that you should marry her. And I'm the very friendly fellow who sells the cottage with the country views. And you'll agree that it will excel lonely rooms on different avenues. A very good friend, the neighbors say that they've been watching things we do. And they believe that I love you. So we suggest that you two should be well.
a.k.a. James Dalton and his orchestra recording for Associated Transcriptions in September of 1935. Started out with the Wolverine Blues. I don't know who did the arrangement. It sort of calls to mind the Bob Crosby uh, band. None of the players in this band were in that band, so I'm not sure who did that. It possibly could have been a, a recycled Glenn Miller arrangement, but doesn't really sound like one of his either. And we heard some really interesting George Thau playing on, on trumpet. A couple of fluff notes in there, but uh, a real feature for him and some very broad, powerful playing in the middle range. Also heard uh, some piano at the beginning by... Um, uh Bobby Van Epps, I almost forgot his name there, uh, doing some uh, tinkly work along uh, behind the ensemble in the opening choruses. We also heard from the other solos as well. Uh, Skeets Herford uh, appeared on a couple of these tracks on tenor. He was a very effective tenor soloist. Years later, he was a participant in the Time Life recreation of the big band's uh, recordings that Billy May uh, did out on the West Coast in the 19. 60s, late 50s, early 60s, and he recreated Coleman Hawkins' solo on Body and Soul, doing a beautiful job, and then a little bit later, or earlier, I'm not sure which, he picked up his alto and recreated the Johnny Hodges solo on Warm Valley, which was equally beautiful. It's unusual to have a saxophone player equally adept at both alto and tenor. And we mentioned George Thau and the uh, Lawrence Welk Orchestra earlier. Well, Skeet Herford played lead alto for uh, Lawrence Welk, I think, in the early 70s for a while. He can be seen on some of those TV broadcasts from that period. So after that, we heard my very good friend, the Milkman, with numerous vocalists, Kay Weber and Bob uh, Eberly, uh, naming each other, in fact. So that sort of threw the idea of the pseudonym of the band out the window when they were naming each other. And then we heard the trio featuring Don Madison, Rock Hillman, and Skeets Herford. And I guess they were the voices that came in uh, doing the little comedy bits as well. After that was the Tap Dancer's Nightmare. Had some good Ray McKinley moments in there, but also some very effective playing by leader Jimmy Dorsey. BB, which featured Jimmy Dorsey all the way through playing alto. That was not as flashy as a couple of his other recordings of that piece, but uh, it really shows off his tone and uh, his rhythmic assurance as well. So I hope you've enjoyed this program, catching a kind of an interesting little interregnum between the Dorsey Brothers and the Jimmy Dorsey Orchestra, and uh, both done for transcription, some repertoire, and most of their personnel going back and forth as well. So this is the Jazz Focus. My name is John Clark, and uh, if you're interested in sponsoring us, we'd love to have some members of the family coming on board. And I uh, hope uh, you tune into these programs from time to time. We have quite a backlog of... Uh, different podcasts, all kinds of jazz styles going, and many more to come. So, I'll see you on the other side. <laughs>